As we are traveling through 2 Samuel, here we are in verse 26. Just to remind us where we are, God is showing his grace and mercy upon the one whom he calls the man after his own heart. David has repented and is restored and forgiven and renewed. And please notice that he does not camp out in his old sin or in his past place of failure. He moves on. He received the words from Nathan from last week. Remember what they were? The Lord has put away your sin, David. And so David received that. He's gone into the house of his Lord and worshiped. And he's ready to do what he should have been doing all along, which is destroying the enemies of Israel. And this is where we find ourselves as we seek to bring chapter 12 to a close. Look at verse 26. Now, Joab fought against Rabbah of the people of Ammon and took the royal city. Remember, this is the same battle that was going on last week when David told Joab to put Uriah in the hottest parts of the battle so he could be killed. And so Joab sent messengers to David. So this same battle is going on. And said, I fought against Rabbah and I've taken the city's water supply. And if you don't know anything about water, well, just don't drink it for a while and you'll figure it out. Because if you have the water, it's only a matter of time before they fall, escape, or surrender. Now, therefore, David, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and be called after my name. Obviously, Joab has been battling the city for close to a year now. You know, give or take some months. And and he hasn't been able to take it. But that's nothing new. We saw this in chapter 10. Joab was out fighting and they weren't able to win until David shows up. And then it's we saw that the Lord gave them the victory. And, and now it's going to be the same way. Joab is not going to have victory until David shows up to the fight. And can I encourage every single one of us every day as you deny yourself and walk with Jesus, that you show up to the fight strapped with the armor of God and allow him to work through you, even as the Lord God does with David here. I hope you're strapped up, ready for the fight every day. You better be. But all we have to show up to battle is we got to show up. We can't stand on the sidelines and watch. Christianity is not a spectator sport. A battle, it's not a spectator sport. And we're in a battle. You need to go read Ephesians 6 if you don't think we are. And the great thing for us as we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling is it gives God the ability to be the one who works in us so that he might work through us for his good pleasure in this battle that you and I face every day. Because when David shows up, God's pick, they win. When you and I show up with the armor of God and step into the battle, God wins. Because it's God who's working through us. But you got to show up. You have to hold that shield of faith in one hand if you're right-handed. And you got to draw that sword of the Spirit with, with this hand. You got to deliver the goods. No one goes to battle with the shield and the sword and just holds them down there. Hi. Take shots at me. Hey, what? how come you looked up? You got to look so beat up. Well, because I didn't hold my shield up 
of faith, and we, we're called to walk by faith, and you didn't use the word. You got to use both those things, and along with the other things as well. I don't think you have to pray those things on, I, and I'm praying on the shield of faith, and I got the shield, Lord. I, I don't see that. But we're called to walk by faith. Without it, it's impossible to please the Lord. So David gathered all the people together, verse 29, and went to Rabbah, fought against it, and took it. It's the same for us, King. I pray we'll all just believe that. Then he took their king's crown from his head. Its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones, and it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out of the brought out the spoil of the city in a great abundance, and he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work as slaves, really, with saws and iron picks and iron axes, and made them cross over to the brickworks. And that wouldn't be, I, I don't think, bricks that you're making clay out of. That sounds like bricks that you're going to go make, you know, granite out of. So he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. And with God's work being done in this place, then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Now, please, you got to know that David's failure and David's sin did not leave him in a place of disappointment, disaster, and disgust for the rest of his life. You got to move on. You got to move on. The devil wants to hold you down in that place, but you and I, we should be moving on. We should be growing, growing more and being excited about the Word of God, growing more and being excited about praying and praying with others, growing more in fellowship and fellowshipping with one another, not hangout. Fellowship is intimate koinonia because that's what the early church was devoted to. Okay, so all of those things should be going on in our lives. But you got to move forward. Because if David's failure, sin, and disappointment, and disaster, and disgust didn't keep him from moving forward, then none of us would have a chance. Amen. If the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God and the God of second chances wasn't there for David, who becomes an example of you and I, for you and I to follow after, then none of us got a chance. Because whether you think it or not, we all need to daily repent, which means turn and go the other way. And we got to seek forgiveness and keep our hearts right before the Lord. It's critical. So the question begs to be asked, why does Saul have the Holy Spirit taken from him when it seems he just kept some of the Amalekites alive. And yet here, David, he's back in the game, but Saul, he was he was kicked out of the game. So why is that? Who knows the answer? David repented. David repented. Yeah, or the other answer is Saul never came clean about his sin. He always blames somebody else. It's your fault, and it's that guy's fault, and it's that person at work, and it's my spouse, and it's my kids, and it's the dog. Well, maybe not the dog. I mean, but it's always somebody else's fault. Remember Saul, he built a monument to himself. Total pride. Because when I'm blaming others, it's total pride. Whereas David, he was genuine of heart before the Lord, and he sought forgiveness, and he sought repentance. He never blamed others. Ever, I don't think. At least I can't think of where it would be. Remember his words, team? I have sinned against the Lord. And that was sin in a very specific way. Because he was confronted for a very specific sin. 
and he confessed it in a very specific way. Just like we see in the New Testament, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, if we see our sin the same way, homologeo, as David did, that Saul did not, if we confess our sins that way, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Drain that poison out of us that changes us. Because who doesn't want to change? None of us want to be in that same spot. So David's picture here of getting back in the game before this chapter over really is the right place for the break. You know, they, I don't know if they guessed at it, but you can't leave him as a failure. you got to leave him back in the game fighting. So don't ever think you need to do more than God's prescribes, prescribed methods in seeking his forgiveness or repentance team, because there's a lot of alternatives out there in Christianity today on what you need to do to get right. That's ridiculous. This is God's prescribed methods. Forgiveness and repentance. Make sure you do them both. Repentance by itself is short of forgiveness, and forgiveness by itself is short of repentance. Carry those things to both those things with you when you wake up, as you go through your day, and before you lay your head down and knock out. Just make sure you're right with God. You'll be good. Chapter 13. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. So their mother was Ma'aka, the daughter of King Asher, and Ammon, who was David's firstborn son, the one who's going to have the right to the throne, the son of David, loved her. Now, please remember whose sister she was, because you're going to need that before we get done. And we'll find out that he really does not love her by his actions, but instead he lusted after her, because he isn't interested in the other person's well-being. He's only interested in his own. See, love is interested in somebody else's well-being. Lust is only interested in your own. Okay, we got that? It's really simple to remember that way. So, you know, it's like the things of God, fellowship, prayer, Bible reading, all of those things will draw me to God, where, you know, I know that's, the, that's God, but everything that's trying to push me away from all that, it's the devil. Well, it's the same thing here. You know, if it's, if it's, if it's just for me, well, you know, that ain't love. That's lust, because it's something I want right now. But if it's love, then you're concerned about the other person's well-being. Verse 2, Ammon, whose mom is Ohinoam, the Jezreelitess, was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became, we'll call it lovesick, for lack of better words, for she was a virgin, meaning she was available for marriage, but not to her half-brother. And it was improper for Ammon to do anything to her, for that was against God's law. And we'll read it here in a minute. Verse 3. But Ammon had a friend whose name was, it was jo we're going to call him Jonah Bad Dab, the son of Shimei. And remember, Sh Sh or Shimei, he's the third son of Dave, or he's the, he's the third brother of of David. Remember, you know, the, Jesse's sons came. Shimei was number three. David was at the bottom. So this Jonah Baddab was a very crafty man. So he's a cousin to Amnon and Absalom by David's third oldest, Broham. And if you want to see a clear picture of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 being played out, then here's what it looks like, because we all should know what that verse is. You should use it all the time. Hey, listen, do not be deceived here. Bad company is going to corrupt your good character. And this 
and this Jonah bad dab dude, he's bad company. So here's how it plays out. And he, Jonah bad dab, said to him, why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? This guy sticks his face in everything. You'll, you'll, you'll see what I mean before we get done. Ammon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. No, bro, she's your sister. You know, same father, different mother. You know, it's not like, it's not like, uh, I don't know, um, somebody, somebody's dad remarried and, and that, and that, and that gal had some sisters and you were dating those girls. There's no incest involved there. I mean, there's no tie other than by step marriage. Okay, Mike's looking like he's a little confused, but I'll sort it all out for you when we get all done. Okay, and he, Jonah, bad dad, said to him, "Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner? I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister." And a godly friend would have said this, "Hey, she's your sister too, bro." That's what a godly friend would have said. She's forbidden for you. Hey, but you know what? If you're ready to get married. I, you know, start seeking the Lord. You know, I'm sure God's got a hottie out there for you, you know, in the front row of the synagogue or something. That's what a godly friend would have said. But that's not what he does here. Verse 5, let's call this the evil plot. So Jonah Baddab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. That's the plan. What about the other instructions? Because there's a lot more instructions to this plan. Well, no, you don't need them. Because both their hearts were evil, so further instructions were not needed. Then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill, and when the king came to see him, it's almost like Jonah Baddab says, look, let's get the king involved, so that way we can kind of blame him, and it kind of looks like it's legit. And so he said uh, to the king, uh, when the king came in to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let Tamar, my sister, no, I thought that was Absalom's sister last time. Please let, but see, that would be a dead giveaway. Please let Tamar, my sister, listen to what you're saying, Ammon. Please let Tamar, my sister, yeah, that's kind of weird. Come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Please notice, everything here is a lie. And either King David is extremely naive, or because of his own failure of multiple wives, he's just a big pushover. Because he grants it. And David sent home to Tamar, maybe getting the king involved can validate what's going on, or later class blame for being a part of the conspiracy, saying, now go to your brother Amnon's house, and prepare food for him. So Tamar, in the innocence of her heart, went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. You know, she's kind of whistling in her heart as she's out there serving her brother in the innocence of her heart. And she took the pan and placed it out before him, but he refused to eat it. It's like, hey, you're in your bedroom. Here it is. We got a little, uh, I don't know, the other room. Here it is. It's all ready to go. But he wouldn't eat it. Then Amnon said, have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. So the room is empty. The house is empty now. 
Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. So it's like a Hollywood thing here. And totally innocent Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Now, when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. Dude, seriously. And she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. You see, Tamar could see that it was disgraceful, but not Ammon. Why? Because he's blinded by his lust. And I, she says, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you'd be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. So somewhere there must be a little exemption there. But we saw as we went through the book of Leviticus that what Tamar is using, maybe as a last-ditch effort to cause Ammon to let go, was a clear violation according to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 11. Let me read it to you. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister, you shall not uncover her nakedness. So, I don't know if she's saying this just as a trick to get away, but when lust has taken hold, it causes people to do crazy things like rape your own sister. Thus, all sound thinking goes out the window. Verse 14, however, he, her brother, would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. I mean, this is rape of a family member, just so there's no confusion today, okay? There seems to be a lot of confusion in our world today. No, there ain't confusion. This is rape of a family member. God's law wrote about it in the Old Testament, and still just as this is still just as wrong today. And the woman is always the victim unless she is the raper. Okay? We got that? I understand that's a little confusing today in our world today, but it shouldn't be. The woman is always the victim unless she's the raper, because believe it or not, that happens sometimes. Now, I'm not some mind reader, but we read in the paper too many times that some girl or woman is raped and then murdered. And I always thought they murdered them so that way they couldn't point out, you know, the bad guy. Well, Ammon offers another thought here, and I, I, I don't know if this is true, but then Ammon hated her exceedingly. Yeah, he rapes her, then he hates her. Is that why they kill him? I don't know. Then Ammon hated her exceedingly so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. I mean, he wanted a raper so bad that Joan Bad Dab helped him create a lie. And then after the rape, he hates her with greater hatred than he lusted after her. I mean, is that why girls and women get killed today by these psychos? I have no idea. But that's why he's pushing her away here. Like I said, I'm not a mind reader of the criminal, but this is about as crazy as it gets. But you know what? Don't tune out. It gets crazier and stupider. And Ammon said to her, Arise, be gone. Um, Ammon, uh, sh uh, she has a brother, <laughs> and you're a dope. But see, this is what lust does. It gets what it wants and discards the rest. And this is such a classic picture of how the world operates today. Use them, then trash them. That's how our world is today. 
It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Use or be used. So if you're a young person and you've grown up in the church and you're kind of curious as to what the world's like out there, well, hey, here you go. This is a great picture. I mean, this is about as clear of a picture of the rules that the world lives by and goes by and operates by right here. This is it. It is. I never did anything like this, not even close, but the rules are still the same. Use and be used. Those are the rules of the, of the world. So if you want to play by the world's standards and the world's ways, well, hey, that's what's happening. You're going to get used and you're going to be used and you're going to use others. Verse 16. So she said to him, no, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. You know, just in case anyone had not figured that out yet. She had no part of this, like zero. But she's right. Maybe, maybe he could have married her. Maybe he could have paid the bride price for her. Maybe he could have paid the price of the virgin. It was a crazy world back then. Listen to Deuteronomy 22:28. If a man finds a damsel that is a virgin, that is not betrothed, that's the key word, that is not betrothed. Because if they're betrothed, I'm going to read in a minute, that one gets stoned. If a man finds a damsel that is a virgin that is not betrothed and lay hold on her and lie with her and they be found, then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father 50 shekels of silver and she shall be his wife because he hath humbled her. He may not put her away all his days. I mean, that's just a crazy world. I mean, that ain't, you know, that I would never plead that as my offense or defense in this world today. You're going to slam her. Exodus 22:16. If a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed, again, not betrothed, and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. You know, because she may never get married. And so Tamar actually may be right here. Look, don't send me away. You know, just talk to that. There may be an exception here. But neither of these two passages seem like applies to rape here, other than where it says, you know, uh, uh, and lies with her or um, lays hold of her. That is, doesn't seem like the word rape to me. But this, those are the passages the commentators use. But he, the only thing that applies to rape is if she was engaged or betrothed. Listen to Deuteronomy 22:25. But if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. So she had to be engaged. Kind of a crazy world back then. But Amnon would not listen to her. And I, and I guess because she was going to be a reminder of his sin, she had to go. Then he called his servant who attended him and said, here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her so she can't get back in. Can someone say sin makes you stupid? And it makes you do stupid things. Even as David thought he got away with it, so does Ammon by casting her out of his house, thinking somehow he's, he's going to get away with it. But he's not a real wise one, this guy. You know, at least David was a little shrewd in his thing. The, the, the son here, he's not real wise. It's like, okay, I've had my fun. 
Now I've gotten rid of the problem. You know, he's not very sharp. But you know what? What we have found over the years is that gals are very vulnerable to give sex to secure the love of a man. But more times than not, exactly what happened here happens in the world. When a guy gets sex, he dumps the godly gal. So gals, don't give in to the foolish ways of the world. Make them wait, no matter how hard they push. Tell them to back off if they keep pushing. On the other hand, we've seen guys give love to get sex. Oh, they're nice, they're romantic, they're giving, they take dollars out of their pockets for the purpose to, to get sex. And gals are giving sex to get love, and guys are giving love to get sex. It is a messed up world in which we live in, and that world has impacted and infected the church. So don't give in, single people. Know what God says. Have some defenses. Have those words buried deep in your heart. Allow the love of Jesus to be greater than anything that would ever force you to move off of where you need to be. Verse 18. Now, she had on a robe of many colors. For the king's virgins, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Then Tamar, and please take notice, ladies, she points out. She points all fault back to Amnon. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. You see, the only problem with Ammon's thinking of putting her out at this point is she's a walking sandwich board. You know, you know what a sandwich board is? You know, a sign on the front and the sign on the back? I mean, here you got this girl. She's got ashes on her head. She's tore her robe. And she has her hands on her head. And she is wailing. You see, all of the king's daughters who were virgins wore different apparel from those who were not virgins. And Tamar, having been humiliated and defiled and now shamed, she tears her robe. Well, everybody's going to know what happened or at least know something happened. She puts ashes on her head and she doesn't go away quietly. The Hebrew word for weeping here is a call that someone would use for calling for help. You know, so you're 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 dying, you know, but you you still got a lot of air left in you. You're going to call for help with everything you got. So this is no soft weeping, but loud shrieking, crying out in desperation. And how far was the walk from Ammon's place and hers? I don't know. But I guarantee it wasn't across the hallway. Verse 20. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, and this blows my mind here, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Um, how did he know? Did everybody know about this, but nobody was willing to go to help fix the problem? Did everybody know that Amnon was lovesick towards Tamar and Nobody went to Amnon and said, hey, back off, buddy. I'm going to give you a knuckle sandwich. How does he know? She doesn't say. All she has is hands on her head. She's wailing. She's tore that robe, and she has ashes on her. Did everybody know about this, but nobody wanted to fix the problem? Sounds like the church today. We know about stuff, but nobody wants to get involved and fix the problem. Why does she not go to her dad, King David? Better yet, why does her dad not go to his daughter? You know, because before this is over, that never happens. 
So ladies, you've come a long ways. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how to process that. So Absalom says, but now hold your peace, my sister. And if you want to know what bad counsel looks like, here you go, take some notes. But now hold your peace, my sister. He's your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So T Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. I believe David knew beforehand, just like Absalom, and chose to look the other way. I mean, how could someone not know? I mean, hey, hey, when I, I hadn't been to Christina's house for a long time, and I walk in, I go, whoa, what's the matter with your dog? You know, because it's like, wow, that dog is, is that dog's thin. You know, and so here, and here's Amnon. Wow, Jonah Baddab says, wow, you're thin. What's going on? I mean, obviously, everybody saw it. But none of us should look the other way. I mean, if you hear something that's not right, say something. That, you know, that's just basic common sense. Don't just wait until somebody gets ripped off. Pray and ask the Lord what you should do. And if you don't know what to do, then come and ask me, or at least ask one of our pops. You know who that? You know who that is? That's police on patrol. Pops. Yeah, it's original. <laughs> One more time. Look at the bad counsel in verse 20. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, please see if you can find them all. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, but now hold your peace, my sister. Here's your, he is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained, remained desolate in her brother's brother Absalom's house. Hey, whatever you do, don't give bad counsel like this. I mean, this is worse counsel then Job's four friends that came and offered counsel to him that later got rebuked by God, those four guys. Hold your peace. Are you kidding me? Who would ever say that to their daughter? But I'll guarantee you that probably happens in our sick world today. Yeah, just hold your peace. You know, you know it's all, you're going to be made bad anyway. Don't take this to heart, honey. Just blow it off. Really? How about calling the police? Who cares if he was your brother, your father, your mother, your uncle, you know, your grandpa, whoever. It's crazy. And yet, you know what? So much this is such a real-life situation today. It is. And probably some of you know about it or were affected by it. It's crazy. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Now, part of the reason that Absalom gave the bad counsel to his sister, I believe, is because he's plotting in his heart murder towards his brother from the moment he heard of what Ammon had done. Because see, vengeance is an ugly thing. That's what vengeance does. Vengeance will sit there and will cook on something and will keep that list and keep adding to that list. And then at the proper time, man, it's going to do whatever it wants to do. And I know that's in the church. But you know what? Love bears no record of wrongs. Jesus called us to love our enemies. How much more our brothers and sisters in Christ? We've got to be careful what we sow into our hearts and into other people's hearts with bad counsel like this. This is ridiculous. Well, you know, if you turn them in, it's going gonna, it's gonna to disgrace the family. Who cares about the family? We, you and I, we're Christians. We, my family name isn't what I live by. I live by, I'm a Christian. I'm Bruce and I'm a Christian. Who cares about the family? But I'm sure it happens today. It's crazy. Verse 21. But when King David heard of all these things, he was angry. It's good. The Bible says be angry and do not sin. So this is good. Anger helps identify the sin. 
But you know what, team? This is it. Do something, Dad. Okay, you're angry. Great. Go to your daughter. Go to your son. Is it lack of action because of his own guilt? I don't know. But I do know this. There was a guy that was living with his girlfriend. They said they're believers. Got married. And then years later became a pastor. Became a pastor. And when I said, look, you need to go deal with this situation right now. He said, how can I? I was guilty of that very thing before I got married. I go, bro, you're a pastor, man. You got to deal with it. I mean, if that's true, then that means 90, 90% of the Bible I can't even address because of my past. I mean, you got, you got to go. And the difference was, he said he was saved and I wasn't. So I don't know if that's what's going on here. Hey, I blew it over there, so how can I address it over here? So it could be that that's why David did nothing. I don't know. I, I, as a father, I can't fathom that. I can fathom just beating the cruddy crud out of the guy. You know, I could. There wouldn't be any vengeance. I would just beat him up <laughs> and ask him for forgiveness. Hey, there's always that little voice that says you have no right speaking about this subject because look at the lust in your own eye or look at your own failure in your own. But that's all lies from the devil, man. Truth is truth regardless of who's speaking it to you. Just because you failed in something doesn't mean you can't ever speak to somebody else about it. Man, that's crazy. Parents, if you failed in your own life and in the area of life, don't listen to that little voice of the devil say, you have no right to speak to your children about those things. Don't buy into that. See, the devil's plan and purpose is to drag you into misery, usually always something from your past that's keeping you out of ministry for the present and that's keeping, seeking to keep you in a place where you can't and you don't speak to your kids about things. You got to. Because if you don't, who will? I'll tell you who will. The world will. So how could you as a father, the anointed man filled with the Spirit of God, the one who has a heart like God's heart, how could you hear that one of your sons has just raped one of your daughters and do nothing? Uh, I don't know. Under the law, rape was punishable by death, and yet no mention of David correcting Amnon, but then she had to be engaged, but still, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't see how you can sit idly by and just get angry about it with no action. I mean, this, if this happened to you, wouldn't you at least go to your daughter? I mean, seriously. Verse 22, And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And I would think that everyone knew this, but maybe not. And it came to pass after two full years, you know, because everybody thinks time heals everything, that Absalom had sheep shearers and Baal Hazer. So that means it's a festive time, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. So Absalom, with a spirit of unforgiveness and vengeance that's been cooking in his heart for two years, he has been patiently waiting. And it seems like the conditions are just right as he seeks to use his father, David, just like Amon did to rape Tamar. Remember? Amon, you know, uh, Jonah Baddab said, hey, why don't you get your dad to come? And now 
Absalom's doing the same thing. He's going to his dad. Look at verse 24. Then Absalom came to the king and said, Kindly know, your, servants, your servant has sheep shearers. It's party time. Please let the king. But see, Absalom's slick here. You know, hey, I want the king. I want everybody to come. You know, just bring everybody. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to, the, to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. And then uh, he's walking away, and then turns back around, and Absalom said, Hey, hey, well, I guess if you're not going to go, you know, uh, you know the guy that's going to take your place when uh, you pass off the scene? How about if you let you know, my brother Amnon go with us? Man, he's a slick talker here. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? <laughs> really, king? You don't know? He wants to kill him. But Absalom urged him, so he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now, would you be a little skeptical at this point? Two years? Really? Hey, yeah, um, the, the brother of the sister that was raped wants to invite the raper to a party. <laughs> it's, I'm telling you, it's soap opera stuff. Uh, I mean, this is such a great picture of how a period of time does not make things right. Never does. If you're sitting on something, stewing on something, you know what? All that's doing is eating you up and creating bitterness in your heart that's going to destroy you. David should have got his family together after he got his life together and sought to deal with the sin in his camp instead of sweeping it under a rug, and he doesn't. And so a period of time for restoration is not or ever will be a godly or biblical fix. Sin in the camp, it's like rust on the metal. It just doesn't go away. It just sits there and gets worse. People unwilling to seek forgiveness and repent of their sins just get farther and farther away from the Lord. Verse 28. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now. When Ammon's heart is merry with wine, when he's a little toasted, because no doubt Amnon is going to come fully on guard. But hey, when he's a little toasted, when he's had a couple of drinks and he's kind of just relaxing over there, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absal Absalom did to Ammon as Absalom had commanded in the sword that was prophesied that would never leave David's home is right here. It's, it's traveling right through it. Then all the king's sons arose, and each one got on his mule and fled. Okay? Please take notice of that. All of them. They all get on, they all go. So Amnon ended up dying two years later because he'd given in over to his lust. I hope we can all get this. Lust is a fire. The more you feed it, the more it demands. The more it demands, the hotter it gets. And the hotter it gets, the more likely you're going to get burned. Pick your topic. Money, sex, bigger house, greater position, drugs, cookies, potato chips. Nobody can eat just one. The more you lust, the more it demands. Lust is not just a sexual thing. It's anything. It's just that intense desire, and you got to have it right now, and the more you lust, the more it demands. Look at Adam and Eve in the garden. They gave in to the various lusts in the world. For all that's in the world, John says, the lust of the flesh, ooh, I bet you that's going to taste good. 
the lust of the eyes. Ooh, that sure looks good on that tree. And the pride of life. Man, I'm going to be like God. Is not of the Father, but is of the world. It's all the same. Nothing, nothing's new under the sun. Verse 30. And it came to pass while they were on their way that news came to David saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons and not one of them is left. Okay, so where does the news come from? They're on their way. News is coming from someone. So the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the ground and all of his servants stood by with their clothes torn. Then Jonah Baddab, remember him? The son of Shimeah, David's brother, you know, Absalom, Amnon, and Tamar's cousin, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's, excuse me, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. How does he know that? Was he there? Was he there at the party? He was a cousin. I mean, he says all the king's sons were at the party, but how does he know only one died? Well, it says here, for by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Okay, so this guy's just as slithery as all get out. He's involved in Amnon helping him. Hey, I know how to get your sister in here. And then he seems to know what Absalom was going to do. And it seems like a lot of people knew what Absalom was going to do. So again, why didn't people do something? It's a crazy world back then. But you know what? It's a crazy world today too. The one who started this whole thing, if he was with Absalom and Amnon, if he was there, he must have the fastest turbocharged mule because he's the first one that got out when the killing started. And I can understand that because, hey, kill him too because he started the whole thing in motion with the plan. So I can understand that. You know, maybe Absalom heard word that he plotted this whole thing. I don't know. But I know this. He either beats the others back to David by a lot or he was always on the lookout, knew what was happening. Now, therefore, let not my Lord, this is Jonah Baddab speaking here because he's a bad dab. Let not my Lord, the king, take the thing to his heart to think that all of the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. You've only lost one son, king. No big deal. You got more. <laughs> Hello, anybody home out there? I mean, Jonah, bad dab. You know what dab is? It's a unit of measure. Then Absalom fled, and the young man, so Absalom's going one way, and the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked, and there were many people, and there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. And Jonah Baddab said to the king, Look, the king's sons are coming. Just like I told you. Maybe he's trying to get a reward, like, you know, the, you know, the guy that killed Saul and the guy that killed Saul's sons. The sons are coming as your servant said. Yeah, no, you're a snake, brother. So it is. So it was as soon as he had finished speaking that the king's sons indeed came and they lifted up their voice and wept. Also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. Um, the king never wept when his daughter was raped. He just got angry. 
But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amenahud, king of Gersher. Now, that's not a city of refuge, by the way, because he's a guilty man. He can't go to a city of refuge. And David mourned for his son Amnon every day. So it's kind of nice he mourned for Amnon. But was it really that bad off back then for you women that David doesn't even pay his daughter a visit, but instead mourns for his son? Crazy. Crazy. So Absalom fled and went to Gesher. That would be the home of his grandpa on his mother's side. She was from this place and was there three years. Okay, thanks for that piece of information. Well, just to make the story even crazier, verse 39. This is where we're at. And King David longed to go to Absalom. Okay, wait a second. So he longed to go to Absalom, the one who killed his brother, because another one of his brothers raped his sister. And you're longing to go there? What about longing to go to your daughter, dude? For he had been comforted concerning Amnon. So that, that's kind of over, because he was dead. I wish it was like Christmas in two weeks. You think you have family issues at Christmas time? <laughs> These guys got lots of issues. <laughs> David is now over his grief for Amnon, and now he longs for Absalom. It appears he misses him. But he won't do anything to bring Absalom back, so stay tuned. There will be fields lit on fire. He'll eventually see him. So, parents, here's my word of application to you. Don't parent like this. <laughs> Don't. Or you're going to end up with this mess. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, we are so thankful that Jesus has brought equality to, to men and women.